Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 78. We're back, people, with a brand new episode. Did you miss us? We missed you. <laughs> we did. We missed each other. This it seemed like way too long. So long. Too long. It was one week off, but it felt like an eternity. I didn't like it. I didn't like it I mean, it I did like it, but then I also didn't like it. <laughs> so everybody got those if you listen to Spotify, you got like, here's what you listen to this year. And it, I always love those. I trade like the your top top songs in 2020 playlist with my friends. And you get to listen to new music. But then we also had some people because it tells you your top podcast you listen to on Spotify. We had a couple people tell us that we were their top podcast. I know. It made us feel so special. It did. Especially our good friend over at uh, 4th and 10, Nathan Owens. 4th and 10 is a really great podcast, but he posted uh, his wife Libby's top (laughs) five, and we were on it, but his podcast wasn't. Oh, Libby, I don't blame you though. I'm not I it's a great pat podcast, but I think I would be scared to listen to my husband talk about me. And that's why my husband doesn't really listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> so I can f- be free to be me. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah. But that was awesome. It made us feel really good and it made us excited to come back. And give you more awesome content. Yeah. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's just quickie right away. All right. Um, okay. I will start this week. So my quickie comes from an article that just came out by Joel Goldstein for people.com. Uh-huh. And it's about probably one of the dumbest couples we've ever talked about on this <gasps> podcast. This is very exciting. They did some really fucking stupid and it really makes me mad okay Um, i'm excited i'm ready to get fired up okay on sunday a married couple wesley morib and courtney peterson who had their four-year-old child with them by the way were arrested when boarding a flight back home to hawaii even though they knew that they were tested positive for covid No, those motherfuckers. Yes. Apparently, Coco Zikos, who is the public information officer at Kauai Police Department, told people that the whole story unfolded when they were traveling from the San Francisco International Airport to the Lihu Airport in Hawaii. They live in Wailu, and they were traveling with their child but they tested positive prior to their flight. And then despite knowing that they had received positive (gasps) results and they were instructed by the quarantine station at the San Francisco International Airport to isolate and not board the plane, they still got on their flight. Endangering- How? Um, Why were they I guess, allowed to get on? I guess they just walked away. Like they were probably told, you now need to go over and quarantine. Like you can't yeah. get on the flight. And they just kept on going. Oh my God. And the fact that, yeah, the fact that they were able to get on the flight is just incredible. KPD officials at the Lehu Airport were notified about the couple. They identified and contacted them once they arrived in Hawaii and they were escorted with their four-year-old to an isolation room where they were further investigated and officers were equipped with gloves, protective gowns, and masks and safety shields. The investigation determined that they knowingly boarded a flight aware of their positive COVID-19 test results, placing the passengers of the flight in danger of death. And they were arrested and charged with reckless endangering in the second degree before being transported mm-hmm. to the Lehu headquarters and booked. And they both posted bail set at $1,000 each. 
And the four-year-old luckily was released into care of a family member. So that's good. The article says that it's unclear at this time if they have retained legal defense and an attorney for the pair could not be immediately found. So I'm sure that they will have their day in court. But bunch of dum-dums. Dude, come on. Be get it that you're like you know what you want to get home really sucks i get it we are stuck here we have to now stay here for 10 days or whatever we have a kid we probably can't afford it but like fuck you like people could die die you're killing people we heard a story at thanksgiving of this is like a cousin of a friend of a friend who their college student like a 20-year-old college student tested positive and the family still was like, no, you come home for Thanksgiving with grandma because they don't believe in the virus. Oh my and so God. even though they were like, yeah, we don't know masks, nothing. So they're the college student was there at Thanksgiving with like 80-something-year-old grandma and all of the family members and they just were pretending it wasn't real. Oh my God. I know of someone who went to a wedding where on the invitation it said COVID is not invited to the wedding, meaning like don't bring it up at yeah. the wedding. Okay. Is that your money? Yeah. So this is, yeah, that's my quickie. And it's pretty oh. fucking infuriating if you ask me. That is pretty infuriating. Um and I will ask you, Jen. Okay. I will. <laughs> All right. Okay. So my quickie comes from thebenbulletin.com by a writer named Garrett Andrews. Okay. So in November 2018, 47-year-old Pearson Tone was feeling depressed. He and his wife were having problems. He wasn't sure what to do. So he did what many of us would do. He went to see his family doctor to see if he could get on medication or Ronald Rosen. Dr. Ronald Rosen was the Tones family doctor. Both Pearson and his wife, as well as their two young kids, had all been going to the same practice for years. So Dr. Rosen specializes in integrative medicine, mixes traditional medicine with holistic alternatives, including acupuncture, nutrition, and herbology. So he prescribed Pearson herbs and breathing techniques for his depression, in addition to marijuana and CBD oil. And then he also counseled Pearson on ways to heal his marriage. So, so sounds like, you know, a great doctor visit. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure whether he this was over one visit or he went back multiple times. But either way, Pearson went home. He told his wife about his visit with Dr. Rosen. And his wife, instead of being like, great, I'm so happy that you're taking steps to repair our relationship. Uh-huh. She was like... Dr. Rosen? Like Dr. Rosen who sees our two little kids? He's been dead for 50 years. (laughs) (laughs) Even better. His wife, Melanie, who also works at the nurse in this practice, the practice we all go to. Oh, that Dr. Rosen? I've been having an affair with him for an extended amount of time. So I don't know how much time, but that's what it says in the article. Oh, my God. And I imagine that Pearson, who's like – pretty good looking like he and his wife both pretty good looking dr rosen looks like an old doctor who would be certified in laughter yoga which is actually the case (laughs) which i'm wondering what that is laughter yoga laughter yoga yeah he looks like like a old hippie doctor who would be certified in laughter yoga and would give you herbs for your depression um (laughs) but so i imagine he was just like are we talking about this same Dr. Rosen? And she was like, yep, that Dr. Rosen. So the reason we know about all this now is because the couple, the Tones, got divorced in 2019. And now Pearson Tone has filed a lawsuit against Dr. Rosen. So he is asking for $2.9 million for professional negligence. And the lawsuit alleges that as a result of Dr. Rosen's conduct, Pearson sustained emotional distress, including the loss of his marriage and emotional and social destruction of his family. Holy moly. So nobody has, this is all from the lawsuit. Nobody has commented on this. Wow. Dr. Rosen still has his practice where his wife works and his, he has two children as well so oh cool, my cool, cool. gosh yeah fucking dicks oh man that's why my husband and I go to separate doctors <laughs> this is why i don't allow my husband to go to a doctor don't don't you're just asking for it asking for it no. oh man that's crazy yeah um, can you imagine like going to the person 
your husband was having an affair with unknowingly and being like, hey, I'm having problems with my marriage. Can you help me? I'm feeling depressed. This is what's happening. And then being like, let me help you with your marriage. Let me give you marital advice. That's like the movie First Wives Club when the marriage counselor is having an affair with Craig T. Nelson. Remember? <gasps> no. Oh, it's such a good movie. <laughs> um, but also, I just finished Leah Remini's biography, Troublemaker. And when uh-huh. she talks about um, Scientology and how she met her husband, he was married. And she talks about how like the church made her kind of atone for being with a married man by paying for the married man and that person and his wife's marriage counseling in the church and then they ended up not divorcing anyway and then Liam Remini ended up marrying him anyway isn't that crazy yeah life man life life in Scientology (laughs) it's nuts (laughs) Um, Also, highly recommend. Great book. Great book. Okay. Awesome. All right. Are you ready for a crazy story? I am ready for a crazy story. Okay. Hit me with it. Dude, this one's pretty wild. And I do want to say up front that this story does deal with suicide. So anybody, if that's a trigger for you or if you find that to be upsetting, then you might want to fast forward over to the love story. Okay. And my information came from an article for Oxygen and an episode of 2020, and then also a really great article for CBS News by Peter Van Sant. Okay. Thank Um, you, everybody, for your hard work. Thank you, everybody. Valerie McDaniel was a very successful veterinarian who owned her own practice, and she lived in River Oaks, Houston, which is actually considered to be the Beverly Hills of Houston. I feel like we always, these stories always start off with people living in the Beverly Hills of something, right? (laughs) I want to live in the Beverly Hills of something. Something. <laughs> I'll live in the Beverly Hills of this trash can. I just want right. to live in the Beverly Hills of something. <laughs> anyway, so she lived in a huge home with a fancy beach house and her practice, she owned it with her husband, Marion, uh, also known as Mac McDaniel. So it seemed like she, you know, just had it all. She met Marion Mac. Well, I'll just call him Mac for the rest because that's what everybody calls him. Okay. Mac when she was getting her veterinary medicine degree at Texas A&M, Mac proposed to her. She had an audio diary, and she said in her audio diary that we had a beautiful fairy tale wedding. They moved into a house that her parents had bought for her to live in. That sounds like Beverly Hills of something. Right. Um, but so <laughs> Beverly um, Hills of trust fund kids. Yeah. After they moved into the home is when Valerie decided to open up her own veterinary clinic. And mm-hmm. so Mac was the office manager and the clinic did very, very well. So they were very well off and she couldn't have any children. So she ended up adopting a child mm-hmm. in 2008. They had, the couple adopted a daughter when she was just two days old. So everything was great. But over the course of their nine year marriage, things started to fall apart. Apparently, mm-hmm. Mac was never really home. He was always off doing stuff. People said that he was hunting, but some people thought that he was out. As 2020 would put it, hunting women. Um, out having affairs, basically. Um, uh, Valerie said that she got a phone call from a stranger, uh, from a woman who claimed to be his lover. And then later on, she said that this woman gave her a list of women that he had slept with. So it wasn't just one person. And uh, Valerie confronted Max and she forgave him. But before long, there was uh, more evidence of him cheating again. I mean, and- I feel like the strange lady calling your house saying she's having an affair with your husband, giving you a list of people would be plenty of evidence you for me. Think. <laughs> you think. You think. I know denial is a very powerful, very powerful thing. So is forgiveness. So yeah, and so she actually, so she did forgive him again. So they were mm-hmm. bo- they were married, but they were both obviously very miserable. You know, yeah. he, he's obviously cheating, and she's miserable that her husband's cheating. So one day, Valerie meets a man named Leon Jacob, 
And Leon was the son of her next door neighbor, Golda Jacob, who is was a divorce attorney. They okay. were a very wealthy family, and you know Leon was a doctor. He was eight years younger than her, and he grew up very privileged. You know, they are in the Beverly Hills of Houston. Um, uh-huh. He grew up very privileged. He went to private schools and he would go skiing in the winter and summers in Maine, you know, like that kind of right. lifestyle, right. which sounds nice. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I don't want to ski, but like I'd like to have ski money. Yeah. You know? Me too. And so Valerie said that he ran up to me and stuck his hand out and introduced himself. She said, the cockiest motherfucker I'd ever met in my life. Valerie was 48 years old at the time, and she was in amazing shape and just a beautiful woman. And he said that when he saw her in the bathing suit, you know, when she was getting out of her pool or whatever, when he was like, I have to meet this woman. So he went over there and introduced himself and they were very much attracted to each other. Yeah. She said, you could tell he knew how beautiful he was. She said then she knew that she was just really lonely. She was going through a hard time and here's this good looking guy that came over and he talked to her and he listened to her. And this was from her audio diary. She said, he sat across from me and we had some wine and I had my feet up, my feet out on the chair next to him. And out of the blue, he just reached out and ran his finger up my left foot. And that was it. It was like a movie moment. I'd be like, don't touch my fucking feet. Yeah. I'd be like, gross. Get your fingers off my feet. (laughs) Get your finger off my toe. And so, (laughs) but she found solace in him and he was a caring person to talk to. He made her feel loved and protective. And so shortly thereafter, like between Max alleged cheating and then Valerie meeting this guy, Leon, who was super into her, they both decided that they just wanted out of the marriage. So in December of 2014, Valerie filed for divorce with the claim that Mac was committing adultery. So it wasn't until 2016 that their divorce was finalized. And so Valerie and her daughter moved into this really beautiful high-rise condo also Mm -hmm. in the River Oaks area. And shortly thereafter, Leon moved in with them. And so everyone said that they seemed very much in love. They were always holding hands, very loving towards each other, and everything seemed great. But there was just one problem. When Mac, who was obviously concerned over who is this guy that my daughter is now living with, decided to give Leon ye old Google search, Uh um, what he came back with was not good. So Leon had a very big rap sheet, one including extreme mental cruelty and also assault and stalking charges. It turned out Leon had been married before. And after 12 years of marriage, his wife filed for divorce, citing extreme mental cruelty. And then one year later, he was arrested for stalking his now ex-wife. He would call and leave her all these crazy voicemails, one that was recorded that they played. He screamed at her saying, I'm going to fucking hurt you and I'm going to kill um, I'm going to hurt your parents right in front of you. Like, just fucked up. So he pled guilty to cyber stalking. Mm-hmm. But on the interview on 2020, he was like, I mean, she went a little overboard with her complaints about me, is what he said. It's like, you were, what? Uh, okay. And after his arrest, he ended up moving to Pittsburgh to start a new residency. And that's where he met 33-year-old Megan Vericus. Wait, is um, this before or this is after his wife after his wife before valerie okay yeah so um she was the assistant general manager at a hotel is where he met her and then everything was great in the beginning they ended up moving to houston together where leon started his seventh residency because and the reason that he had so many residencies because he was kicked out of every residency program that he's ever been a part of yeah because they keep taking him he was a real piece of shit they said that apparently he thought he was the smartest guy in the room he had an inability Mm -hmm. to get along with people he had an inability to get along with patients i will tell you all of these interviews watching him i just want to reach through the freaking screen and smack him Yeah. So anyway, he couldn't get along with patients. And in fact, one of the records said that they believe that he was a danger to the patients that he was around and that he would be a liability for the hospital to keep him around. Wow. Yeah. 
And then three years into his relationship with Megan, he became a threat to her too. And she kicked him out of the apartment. She has accused him of assaulting her, which I believe her when she said that. He was arrested in February 2007 for assault and stalking. She said that he would follow her. He would hide in bushes outside of her work, call her. And just weeks after being arrested for stalking Megan is when he met and immediately started dating Valerie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Max sees all of this. And then he tells Valerie that he doesn't want Leon anywhere around his daughter. And Valerie agrees that she will not let Leon be around the daughter because they had a 50-50 split custody. So she said that she was okay with not having him over when she had her daughter. But Leon, being a total control freak, was not happy about this. You know, he just wanted to live comfortably in the fancy high-rise condo and be with Valerie whenever he wants. You know, he doesn't want anybody telling him what to do. And so, you know, now he's having to deal with a little thing called consequences for his shitty behavior. (laughs) I thought you were going to say a little thing called a child. <laughs> oh, no. Not yet. But the thing is that the, the pending stalking charges from Megan will more than likely keep him from being able to get another residency. Because right. in Texas, you in Texas, they're smart enough to where you can't get a medical license with a felony. And now with Mac not allowing Leon to be around his daughter and he can't just live freely with Valerie, he decides he's going to take care of these problems that he's having um, Mm -hmm. or hire someone that can. So you see what I did there? I did. So (laughs) he ends up finding a hitman whose name is Zach, quote unquote. He tells Leon that he can take care of Megan in exchange for $500 cash that's got to be a typo. $5,000 cash. $5,000 cash. Like, dang. Who do I need to bump off? $5,000 cash. Two Cartier watches and a laptop for a down payment. But here's the thing. This Zach that he was talking to is actually not a hitman. He was a con uh-huh. man. And so yeah. what he ended up doing was he took all of this down payment and then he just disappeared. I mean, it's so. weird how when you're trying to hire a hitman, like a lot of times they're just con men. Like, it, it seems like we have a lot of stories about that. It's really weird <laughs> that hitmen are not honest people. They're not like upstanding citizens who who like abide by a code. Like give me <laughs> a hitman I can trust. Right? You know? That is worth its weight in gold. <laughs> I would spend a 5000 on that. I'll be the hitman. You can trust. <laughs> just kidding. I would never. So Leon is obviously pissed that this guy just took his money and ran. So he's trying to track the, him down to try to get his money back. So he ends up going to his bail bondsman, a man named Michael Kubosh, who he got his bond through when he was arrested for stalking Megan. Um, uh-huh. He asked him if he could help him track down this guy because he knows that this guy knows a lot of seedy characters you know and also bail bondsmen what they do is when if you flee and don't pay your bond they'll track you down and find you so he goes to them asking him to help help track down this guy and when mr kubash asked him why you know why do you want to track down this guy he said i paid him a lot of money to take care of this matter and then he said take care of what and leon said to get her out of the picture And so thankfully, Mr. Kubash was smart and he ended up calling the cops and gave them this information. So the cops then alerted Megan and they immediately took her to a safe house. Apparently, she was actually not surprised at all when they told her that her ex had hired a hitman to kill her. They were like, she was like, yep, sounds right. He's a fucking psycho and I'm not surprised at all. And so then the police went to track down this Zach, the alleged hitman. And actually what's funny is that Mr. Kubash actually did know this guy because he was a former military man who was facing a misdemeanor theft charge for stealing from his roommate. Um, The Zach guy? Yeah. Zach's actual name is Taz, and he is a decorated Mm -hmm. former U.S. Army soldier. So when they contact Taz, he admits that Leon wanted him to kidnap Megan, first to talk her into taking him back, 
And if that didn't work to talk her out of leaving town, but that wasn't all, he said this guy Taz, whose full name was Moataz Aza, he said, and I was like, if she doesn't leave, what are you going to do? And he said, I want you to kill her. When they asked him about taking Jacob's money, he was like, yeah, I took his money and I don't feel bad about it at all. Right. (laughs) And so, but anyway, so they convinced him to help them set a trap to arrest Leon. And there's different stories where some people are talking about this Moataz as a hero for saving. And it's like, no, you're a con artist that got caught. And right. so you didn't go to the police yeah. when you got that money. Yeah. You weren't like, oh, somebody tried to hire me to hit. Right. You're- that woman could have gotten really hurt. Yeah. Megan. And yeah. so I'm not on team like the, this guy is a good guy. He was like in a in a corner. And then he was like, yeah, I'll do this to help the police because he he's a con man. Anyway, so so Zach then calls Leon. So he Leon thinks it's Zach and told Leon that – he felt that he grew too close to him, like too emotionally um, attached, I guess, by like learning about Leon and Valerie, and that he thought that it would be best to hire a different hitman. But he said, "But I know just the right guy. I don't want to ruin. I don't want to ruin our, our relationship by yeah, yeah, yeah. by making our no, relationship it's, official. It's because I love you too much." <laughs> You see what you do to me, Leon? So he said that he knew just the right guy. And that guy was a detective whose undercover officer name is, they're calling him Javier. But he was an undercover officer with the Houston Police Department. Zach asked Leon if he could meet him tomorrow. And Leon said, yes, I will clear my schedule. But before they got off the phone, Leon says to him, and we're taking care of both problems. And then... Zach or Moata says, what problems? And he said, and Leon said, both of the individuals we are talking about. He said, oh, okay. And then Jacob said, Valerie wants to talk to you about what she wants done with her ex-husband. Yeah. So Valerie is wanting him to kill her ex-husband as well. And then he said, okay, that's good. All right. Just bring her with you tomorrow. And then they set up a meeting in the middle of the afternoon to plot this murder at an olive garden. <laughs> because when you're here, you're family. And um but like that kind of family. Family. <laughs> yeah. So so when they got there, the detective Javier who was playing the hitman and uh, was wearing a wire and everything was recorded. And the meeting lasted almost two hours. They began talking about Leon's target, Megan. And he said, when he was talking to him, he said, I don't want her hurt, but I want her to go. And then the detective said, if she doesn't understand that, then what do you want me to do? And Leon responded, if those options don't work, I don't give a fuck, then do what you got to do. I need her gone. According to the detective, he said that there was no doubt in his mind that he was saying that he wanted Megan killed. And then Valerie was at the meeting as well. And they said that it was really strange because she came in her work clothes with her name on her scrubs, you know, like she was trying to hide who she was. She just very plainly met into this meeting. They talked about how they could possibly kill Mac. Like they talked about maybe it being a car wreck or a robbery gone wrong. So they agreed that they were going to carjack him and then that the hitman was going to shoot him in the head. And they explained all of that to Valerie. And then the detective said to Valerie, but you need to give me the go ahead. Want to do that? And Valerie said, what other option do I have? He's going to take my daughter. Okay. Yeah. And so while this meeting in broad daylight at the Olive Garden seems unfathomable, there was something happening behind the scenes that was even more unbelievable. So the police decided to take the sting operation a step further by asking Megan and Mac to stage their own deaths. Ooh, I love when yeah. they do that. Mm-hmm. So Mac agreed. <laughs> I and feel he- like police just do that because they're like, let's have some fun. Yeah, let's really <laughs> fuck with these fuckers. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, we already have them on tape saying, yes, I want them dead. Like, yeah. what more do you need? You met with them. They gave you money. But, like, I think they're just like, let's play with our makeup. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's so that's what they did. They so Mac agreed and he allowed the, to have him sit in his car and he slumped over the wheel and they put makeup and blood, a uh, pig's blood on him to look like a gunshot wound to the head and police took pictures of him and then they were going to then show these pictures later to Leon and Valerie as proof that the job was done, obviously. And then Megan also agreed to be tied and bound with a blindfold and zip ties to make it look like she had been kidnapped. So she agreed to be tied and bound and blindfolded and then tied up with zip ties. But it ended up being, understandably so, just very difficult for her. Like once she was there tied up with the blindfold on, the reality just set in right was going to happen to me and the poor thing started to panic and just became very emotional and they had to take everything off they did get some pictures but i just feel so bad for her that she even had to go through that yeah can you i mean because that would be the moment we'd be like oh this could be for real yeah this is very scary and so the next day on march 9th 2017 javier called leon to said that he had um, good news and that he wanted to give the news in person so he went over to their condo and told them that mac was dead so neither of them wanted um, to see the photo but neither of them were upset you know obviously they told him that they were dead and they were like okay and then and then that was it and then so yeah and then leon changed the subject back to megan and he said to the detective so you're gonna snatch her and you're gonna bring her somewhere and talk to her and the detective said, that's the plan. And then Leon said, if I, if I need to show up, you call me. And then later that night, they sent the stage photographs of Megan to Leon via text. The detective said that she was so out of control that she had to be killed. And the detective said, she's dead, she's gone. And Leon just said, I don't want to know anything. Mm-hmm. That was his reaction. Right. And then around... Two or three in the morning on March 10, 2017, Valerie and Leon hear a banging at the door. And when they open the door, it's Sergeant Frank Quinn that was there to tell them that her ex-husband, Mac, had been murdered Uh via a carjacking. And she pretends to be surprised. She pretends to be upset. She it's very strange to watch. Like she just yeah. like puts her hands in front of her face and then bows her head and then sits down like like that's all she can do. Right. And then Leon comes out and he's like, oh, my God, what? Like, holy shit. This is crazy. The, the, that's so sar- nuts because my ex-girlfriend just got killed, too. That's so weird. The sergeant was like, we want to know if anyone knows anything. And Leon's like, are you okay, baby? Just like hugging Valerie. And then uh-huh. he says, which is strange because nobody fucking asked him. He just goes, we've been here all day with her daughter. We've been watching movies. We haven't been out of the house all day. And uh-huh. the police are like, fuck you. And then that's w- right when they were like, all right, we're going to read you guys both your rights. They were like, what? What's going on? And they're like, you guys are both under arrest. And they put them both in handcuffs for the solicitation of murder of Mac and Megan. But also what Valerie didn't know is Mac was standing right outside her door. No. I was gonna, about to joke that like, and yeah. then Mac and Megan come out and they take a bow. <laughs> yeah. So he. So um, did she see him? So yeah, because Mac was there to pick up their daughter. This is where it gets real sad. So like, so he had to pick up their eight-year-old. And so she loved her daughter more than anything. And this is who she's, in her mind, she's committing murder for or having him killed. And then she has to just hand, in handcuffs, walk away and hand over the daughter. She'll probably never see again. Yeah. And so both Valerie and Leon are taken into custody and she right away even when they're at their apartment she she doesn't deny it she's like I'm sorry I got caught I didn't know what we were doing she admits to it she doesn't deny anything but of course Leon denies everything right all of her friends are in total shock they're like this is just not the Valerie that we know this like successful Dedicates yeah, yeah. Dedicates her life to saving animals, is like great mother, just warm and loving person. They're just like, I, this just doesn't make any sense. But Valerie was able to make bail and go home to wait for the process to play out. But Leon, because he had the, uh, those other charges of stalking and abuse 
um, he wasn't able to make bail. Yeah. So, which is good. And so Valerie's co-worker, Dr. Brittany King, went to visit her at her high-rise condo, um, you know, just to tell her, like, look, we support you through all of this. I know this wasn't you. This had to have been him. She said that Valerie was just in complete agony. She just had her veterinary license was suspended because of the charges, and Mm -hmm. she knew she wouldn't be able to see her daughter for a long, long time. Like, she she was just, like, in such agony, and she said that she could just see the life in Valerie's eyes were just gone. And so two weeks after being arrested, Valerie um, used her iPad. I've said throughout the this story, like uh, she said in her audio diary, she used right. an iPad to record her side of the story in an audio diary. Some of the things she says in it, she said, I didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I want to kill my ex-husband, you know? She kind of tells the story of how one thing led to another and she talked about how she all she wanted to do was talk to her daughter she wanted to see leon so she never sells leon out she always supports him in this like i love leon and i just want to talk to him and then she said i'm just not strong enough i wish i were i just can't do it i just can't do it and so two days after that she made this recording on march 27 2017 valerie climbed over the railing of her apartment balcony and jumped seven stories to her death i know it's heartbreaking a lot of people think that she was just this really amazing kind person that was brainwashed by leon jacob Mm -hmm. which i kind of believe to be true and some people are like no she just showed her true colors on those tapes you know what i mean she ordered the death of her ex-husband it's gray you know it's it's but the whole thing is just very sad Um, And they weren't together very long at all. This was a very short relationship. It was just very (laughs) intense. Yes. And so um, people like your emotions can really get you in a lot of shit, you know, like that quick, like before you can even think, is this right? Am I thinking clearly? Oh, man. They said that the total amount of days that they had even spent together because they didn't see other constantly was only they had only spent 58 days together it's just, i wonder how many this is, this is bear with me on this one <laughs> i wonder how many lives quarantine has saved in that when you're stuck with someone for that long you get to, you like have that time to like go through that intense period and then come out the other side and be like oh you're, they're not yeah, like you're amazing crazy. and magical and whatever. They're just a person because I'm having to live with them and see all their like disgusting habits. Yeah. You know, if she had had more time with him and had over a period, she would have seen his true colors just like these other women did. Just yeah. Like I mean, his, his first his marriage first was 12 years and his – Megan's – his relationship with Megan was three years. Right. And just – I mean, he would he would have done the same thing to Valerie at some point. And so I just wonder, mm-hmm. like, how many people have been like, oh, I have I am not in this, like, love, you know, infatuation phase anymore, and you're out of here. Yeah. I, wonder, I don't know. But, of course, Leon Jacob and his defense team were definitely going to lean in and paint the picture that Valerie was the driving force of the whole operation. Yeah. Um, so much for love. Right. You know, like she down to the white, like down to her last recording stood by him and he was just like, yeah, it's Valerie's fault. Fucking motherfucker. So on March 20th, 2018, a week before the anniversary of her suicide, Leon stood trial on two counts of solicitation of capital murder. And the prosecution claimed that he was a control freak and that Mm. in order to gain control of his life, he needed Mac to die and he needed Megan to die. And that was his motive. And the defense tried to play up that Valerie was behind it and that he was just following her lead and that they said that the undercover officer would push them into saying those things. Like, but it was all on the tapes. Like, it was so obvious. So when Leon was on the stand, the prosecuting attorney, Samantha Kneck, said, did you not want anybody hurt when you said inject her with potassium chloride to stop her heart untraceable? And Leon's, <laughs> yeah. And then Sorry. Leon said, I said that was something you could do. I didn't say that for him to do it. Right, just like, like, hey, if you, if you have some choices, like I can think of like all sorts of crazy scenarios, but I, not necessarily anyone I want you to take. He's such a 
jackass. And so she said, do you recall telling the undercover officer, if those options don't work, I don't give a fuck, then do what you got to do because my survival is more important. And he said, yes. So then they also brought up the fact that Leon on the tapes offered to pay $10,000 in four weekly installments for the murders of Mac and and Megan. They played that tape of him saying that. And then the prosecution attorney said, okay, so you're agreeing that you gave him $25,000 after he tells you, I'm going to put a bullet in his head and throw him on the street. And Leon Jacob said, if that's what you say. And she goes, no, it's in the recording. It's not what I say. It's what you said. And then Leon goes, I guess. And so just an hour and 15 minutes of jury deliberation, the jury voted unanimously that he was guilty on both counts of conspiring to have Megan and that killed. So he was sentenced to life in prison. And after they read his sentence, they allowed for his ex-wife to stand and read her victim impact statement to Uh him in which she definitely expressed the hell that he put her through. And then Megan was able to address him. And she said, you will never see your children grow up. You will not be a part of their lives and they will be better for it. You destroyed me financially and took away my sense of security, but you can do that no more. When you sit in jail, I hope you think of me, the girl that you called poor and uneducated. It's because of me, you will be in prison for life. Hell yeah, Megan. So he is in prison for life, but will be eligible for parole in the year of 2047 where he'll be 69 years old and this motherfucker is still doing all these interviews stating his innocence and just Mm -hmm. being a smug ass piece of shit loving the attention he says that he wants bradley cooper to play him in a movie and i'm like get the fuck out of here yeah so don't get a movie uh, no i mean he probably does but i don't get a movie but he's just oh god i like i want to say watch watch it just to see like how gross he is but also just don't don't right. give him the satisfaction <laughs> i feel like you did a good job of painting a picture so yeah just like Man. a real big piece of shit with like <laughs> like chin length like, blonde curly hair and glasses like that kind of ugh. can you like, see imagine it? a piece of shit can you see that that's yeah, him that's him but yeah, it's that. Yeah, that's a nuts story. story. It's real good crazy. one, dude. Yeah, thanks. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. I've got a love story. Do ya? Yeah, it was my week, so I went ahead and did one. Then you um, did what you came to do. I did what I came to do. I got my information from a New York Times article by Lauren Rowello, LGBTQNation.com article by Daniel Villarreal. Uh, forward.com article by Alex Wall and an Huffington Post article by Chaya Milstein. Nice. So, okay. All sound real, real great. Really yeah, all, all great. I like it. In February of 2016, Jody Ann Morgan, who goes by Morgan, was working as a security guard for the Barnum and Bailey Circus in Brooklyn. And she spotted, oh. huh? I was going to say, that sounds fun. It does sound fun. So she spotted Chaya Milstein walking through a security checkpoint. Chaya was hard to miss in her bright, tight mini dress and black thigh-high boots. Morgan is, like, super quiet and introverted, and she was like, she looks like she's going to a nightclub, but she's still – something about Chaya just caught her eye. She's, like, a very vivacious person. And Chaya wasn't even supposed to be at the circus that night. She'd been getting a manicure earlier in the day. And another person who was getting a manicure had tickets to the circus and offered it to her nail tech. And the nail tech was like, I can't go. So the woman just turned to Chaya and was like, do you want it? And she was like, yeah, I've never been to the circus. I'll go. Wow. So Morgan noticed Chaya, but she didn't say anything to her because after all, she was working. But then a few days later, she noticed the same woman in the red dress pop up on a Facebook group that they both happened to be in for queer people living in New York City, which I just think it's such what a like small world 
I mean, yeah. New York City is giant. So you just see a person and then they happen to be part of the same small group that you're in. Yeah, that just sounds all more serendipitous right? to me so, between the ticket and – Yeah, everything. Yeah. It's like this was – Wow. It, so this time Morgan was like, I have to reach out to her because – how how crazy is this coincidence? So she sent Chaya a message and was like, hey, I like your style. And so they started chatting. They kind of started flirting. And they eventually decided they're going to go on a first date. And so they both went to this party that was being held by one of Morgan's friends. And Chaya said at the party, everyone kept asking me how long we've been together. And we laughed because it was our first date. Like Aww. they were just so comfortable together from the get that everybody just assumed they'd been together for a long time. They got serious pretty quickly, and this hallmark of their relationship was their ability as a couple to form a community. So soon after they met, they decided to host this hybrid Christmas and Hanukkah party. They posted an open invitation to anybody who didn't have anywhere else to go on the holidays in a local LBGTQ plus group. And that day, people they'd never met crammed into this tiny Brooklyn apartment for homemade potato latkes that Morgan and, and Chaya had made. So that was just like kind of their thing. They were like, we love bringing people together and we they invited anyone into their home. In 2018, they ended up moving to Milwaukee together, which is where Chaya's from, and they were so excited about, you know, this new space that they moved into which seemed giant to them that they bought a dining table that seats 12 so that they could have lots of people over. Wow. Over the last couple of years, they've welcomed strangers for holiday gatherings, birthdays, potlucks, a clothing swap, and even during the quarantine, Chaya will cook for anyone who wants to join and she will put meals out, wrap them up and put them oh at the doorstep. Oh my God, that's so nice. Come by and get them. Yeah. And so the creating this community of like kind of diverse and interesting people is important for both Chaya and Morgan, not least of which because they're both estranged from their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan was raised in a Pentecostal family. Her family is Jamaican and very strictly religious and her parents are just not accepting of her orientation. Aww. She said that even though she's 33, they basically think she's going through a phase that will pass once she meets the right man. Mm. And Chaya is the oldest of 15 children. Whoa. I know. And grew up with Russian immigrant parents in Milwaukee. Her father was a Hasidic rabbi who both physically and emotionally abused her and some of her siblings. By the time she was 15, she was so desperate to get out of her family that she went to her father and told him that she was ready to get married because she just thought that was her only way out. So she asked him with the tr- within the tradition to find her a husband. So oh, she wow. told him, I can cook and I can clean. I'll make a good housewife. And so her father agreed and started the process, which was basically he would contact people in the Hasidic community and try to find eligible suitors. And then her parents would vet the men before she was even allowed to meet them. But her father then complained to her that she was too fat for him to find suitors and started demanding that she lose weight. I'm just like, oh, this oh my poor God. little 16-year-old or 15-year-old girl who's been abused her whole life is now – like they didn't have a scale at their home, so they made her go to the local UPS store to weigh herself every week. Oh, my God. I that know. is heartbreaking. It is. So in the middle of this search for a husband – the Milwaukee child welfare authorities actually took Chaya out of her home. Wow. She wrote, yeah, she wrote, I was abruptly taken from my community, placed in foster care, and dumped into a world I knew nothing about. It should have happened years earlier, but it took some time for the countless police reports and CPS complaints <gasps> before someone believed what I had to say about what was happening behind closed doors. <sighs> So she had, I mean, she had actually fractured her back three times oh my God. over the years. Like, so it wasn't as if no one couldn't know. It right. just is like no one put it together. And I think that it's a, such a closed community that no one was willing to say anything. So Chaya no longer talks to her parents, but she does have relationships with some of her siblings and other family members who are no longer in the Hasidic faith. So Chaya and Morgan had been together for three years when they got engaged. They talked about it together. They picked out the rings. They'd even decided that they were going to make it official and get engaged during a vacation to Mexico. But Morgan was too impatient. So in August of 2019, Morgan took Chaya to Lake Michigan and they stopped under this canopy of tree branches by the water and Morgan held out a ring and in like a very shy way, she was like, can we like 
do that thing, you know, like, will you marry me? <laughs> and Chaya said, she said, of course. And, and she cried and she wrote in the Huffington Post that this, unlike when she had asked to be married at 15, that this felt right. Aww. And when Morgan called her parents to tell them she was engaged, they said, oh, so you found yourself a man? And then she hung up on them. No. And then they texted her and were like, we don't believe in that at all. We don't believe in this stuff. And which I'm guessing by this stuff, they mean being a lesbian. But either way, she and Chaya knew there was no chance that her parents were going to attend the wedding. Oh. And so, and Chaya's parents were obviously a non-starter too. Right. And even though she is close to her grandmother and her grandmother has actually met Morgan many times, her grandmother had always told her she couldn't attend her wedding if she wasn't marrying another Jewish person. Mm. So despite not being supported by their parents, when the couple got engaged in August of 2019, they were supported by this huge community of strangers that they had made into friends over the years. That's awesome. So they, I know. So they started talking about their wedding, and Morgan, who's the introvert, suggested eloping to Vegas. But Chaya, who's this big extrovert, she actually has this huge following on social media. She shows people how to work on cars, and she does plus-size fashion. But she's a huge extrovert, and so she wanted to throw what she called a big queer wedding in New York. She wrote in having to post that she thought they'd throw a big queer wedding on someone's roof like a queer romance novel come to life. I envisioned a huge grazing table filled with soft and hard cheeses, nuts, cured meats, and jars of honey. We would roast a pig in a pit. Guests would come from around the globe, would fly in to celebrate us finally surviving and thriving. Aww. I know. I'm like, that sound does sound amazing. Can I come to your party? Right? <laughs> I want to come to your big queer wedding. But, you know, they were engaged in August 2019, so we were planning for a year out for August of 2020. Right. The year of the dumpster fire. So <clears throat> they had to change their plans like many couples. And even beyond this desire to make this symbolic commitment to each other, they had real practical reasons that they wanted to get married. They thought – what would happen if one of us gets sick? And mm -hmm. would the other one be able to make medical decisions if we weren't legally married? And Chaya lost her job during the pandemic at – she worked at a collision shop and she had to like kind of pivot into teaching these automotive classes online full time. So they just wanted something that was more – where they were able to be on each other's right. insurance and whatever. So it just made them more anxious to tie the knot. So they started trying to get a marriage license in their county in Milwaukee – but at the time, all the courthouses were shut down, so they weren't issuing licenses. You couldn't get one, and you could had to get it in your county in Wisconsin. So, oh. Yeah, so they started searching around, and they found out that you could actually easily get a same-day marriage license in Indianapolis. So they decided, we'll have the ceremony there. Apparently, I had no idea, but Indianapolis is known as like the Vegas of the Midwest, like for weddings. Really? So basically, you can just go get a quickie wedding there. Yeah, really? I didn't know, but I had no idea. Yeah. Hmm. Like every article I read mentioned that. And I was like, huh, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's but, crazy. So, guys, if you need a quickie wedding, Indianapolis. <laughs> and then they did something very rare among couples that are planning a wedding. They actually planned a wedding so that they both got exactly the wedding they wanted. Aw. So they decided they would elope with no one else there but the efficient, giving Morgan this intimate wedding that she wanted. They also decided to live stream it on Facebook, and they invited anyone who wanted to attend to what they called the biggest, queerest wedding of the year. Aww. And it turned out that that was something that a lot of people needed during this time, and over 10,000 people wow. RSVP'd that they were going to tune in for the big day. That's amazing. Yeah. So Chaya said, the world is a really shitty place right now. If somehow sharing our joy is going to give people a momentary reprieve from their struggles and from COVID and from everything else that's happening, that would be a blessing for us. If we start off our marriage building community, then hopefully that's how we'll continue to do it for years to come. And so like they had before, the two went to their online community for help planning the wedding and everyone involved from their makeup artist, to the photographer, to the private chef who they found to make dinner after the ceremony was black, queer, a woman or plus sized or some combination of all of those. And nearly every bridal accessory was made by a queer designer, a black designer or both. 
They picked this universal life minister, L.S. Quinn, as their efficient because they found that, that she had been performing same-sex marriages even before it was legal. That's awesome. Yeah. So they found an Airbnb that had this like river in the backyard, and that was where they had their ceremony. And so it was there on August 29th of this year that the two got married. Chaya's vows said, today is our ultimate compromise, a wedding with no one yet everyone present. And they customized their vows to leave out all of the usual mentions of monogamy and physical belonging to another one because they say their relationship is based on mutual respect rather than bodily ownership. They talked about the power of community rather than traditional family ties. And this is so cute, but Morgan's a huge Doctor Who fan. Mm -hmm. And so Chaya included a quote in the ceremony from Doctor Who to surprise Morgan that says, hold hands. That's what you're meant to do. Keep doing that and don't let go. That's the secret. Aww. I know. So thousands of people from all over the world watched their wedding and shared blessings and thanks to the brides in the comment section. Strangers sent them wedding gifts. They have like a household full of wedding gifts from all over the world, even as far as Australia. And after the ceremony, the two watched the video of the live stream and they were just like floored by the comments. And they said one of the most meaningful was that the first message was from a friend who they had met as a stranger at one of their gatherings who talked about how wonderful the couple was at building community. And Chaya's grandmother watched and told her in Russian afterwards, she said, I I teared up. She said that the couple had looked beautiful. I know it's very sweet. So they had actually ordered curried goat and rum cake, which are traditional Jamaican dishes to eat before the ceremony. And they ended up having all this food left over. So they did comes naturally to them as a couple. They shared it with others. Morgan actually told the New York Times, she said, we shared with homeless people. There were just a bunch of people together and we asked them if they wanted food and gave them what they needed, which felt good to do. So the couple hopes that seeing two queer, interfaith, interracial, and plus-sized women will inspire others to realize that love and marriage can look a lot different than what people usually see in the media. And Chaya wrote, Our wedding brought people from all over the globe together for a moment of joy and peace, a brief reprieve from the tumultuous world outside. It was exactly what we needed. And though different from the dreams I once dreamed, it was truly a dream come true. Oh my God. I love that. It's not It's not even just a reprieve from the shittiness of the world to know that these two people found love. Not only that, but it's just to know that such good-hearted people exist. I know. Just to know that these hu- two human beings are on this planet, like doing good and being such good people, that's just – like the them finding love is icing on the cake, you know? Yes, right? It's like just it, – it makes you feel like if you're putting out love and kindness and acceptance that I hope that is what they're getting back yeah. from people because that is like truly what their their relationship stands for and it's really, it's really beautiful. Oh, I love that story. I'm so glad you did it. Yeah. Oh, I want to – I wonder if story. like is there – could you – you know when you do Facebook Live, does it save? Can you watch it later? Like can you watch I it? I don't know. But you can find – Chaya's – like I said, she's big on the internet. Cool. And you – so we can find her – if you just Google Mechanic Shop Femme, mm-hmm. F-E-M-M-E, you can find her blog and all of her online accounts are under Mechanic Shop Femme. Awesome. I will definitely do that. And you guys yeah. should do it too. And you guys do it too. Do it. They're they're a, an amazing couple, and I hope they get to have that big party yeah. once everything gets back to normal. That big yeah, party on the roof, roof and I want to come. Party. <laughs> I want some soft cheeses, me too, and hard cheeses, pots of honey. Come me in. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. I was having a hard time trying to think of something dumb because I feel like this. We keep, I keep feeling the same thing. The same thing has been dumb for many, many moons. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I will say that um, a new element to uh, to our lives is, as you guys know, I have this puppy now, and you guys, puppies are hard. <laughs> Puppies are hard. I mean, I love her and she's so cute and she's so sweet, 
but she just keeps getting into puppy trouble. I mean, just eating things left oh, and right man. and eating ornaments. So adorable. It's real cute, but oh my God. <laughs> She's like attacking. I can see her through my husband's window that I'm recording in right now into another window where our sunroom is. And she is getting into the Christmas tree right now. The other day, <laughs> she just two days ago, she ate a bunch of Legos. I had to give her the hydrogen peroxide to make her vomit up the Legos, which then she proceeded to oh, vomit and diarrhea all over my house for the entirety of the day. Amazing. Yeah, it was fun. She ate um, my daughter's the Star Wars Loath Cat doll that Louise saved up. It was eight. She bought it for eighty dollars on eBay. It was before when you could only get it if you bought it at Disneyland. Yeah, and Louise saved all her money. <laughs> eighty dollars no. takes a long time to save up when you're seven. Yeah, bought this doll. Ruthie ate it. Oh, Ruthie. <laughs> she was so upset. But you just, I guess, like, you just have to laugh at it. It just is what it is. My friends, it's like everybody's getting puppies right now. My good friends, Kristen and Jill, they have new puppies too, and they're so cute. And um, we were commiserating over this, but we were saying it's funny because, like, before you have kids, when your puppy is, like, chewing up stuff and peeing everywhere and poop, and you have to, like, get up in the middle of the night, you're like, God damn it. Stop. But like now that you've had kids, you're like, it's a baby. It's gonna right? be on the floor. <laughs> like, it's, what did I expect? It's gonna eat the Christmas tree. It's a baby. <laughs> it's a baby. The baby's gonna eat the Christmas tree. I mean my brother's my brother's puppy ate the remote. <laughs> it had a battery in its belly, so they had to get have minor surgery. Oh my god! See, she's fine. She's Thank fine, God. But, yeah. but that's what I was trying to when I googled like, can dogs eat Lego? Actually, it was more like my dog ate Legos. What now? Yeah. And uh, they were they said like you have to get it out immediately, or or it could require surgery. So I had to like give her a cap full of hydrogen peroxide, and then she just puked and puked. Oh, man. That reminds me. Um, Andy Woodhull, who's a good friend and a really funny comedian, he has listened to his album. It's called Lucy. He has a lot of albums out. I recommend them all. But on his album, Lucy, he has this joke about his dog eating 50 condoms oh and God. then having to give it hydrogen peroxide and watching it just standing in the front yard of his like apartment complex with his neighbors coming by and just watching the oh dog throw my God. condoms. Uh, so we we went through something like that. When, um, so Zach, my husband, is a gourmet food rep and he sells a lot of like um, fancy truffles and chocolates. Like yeah. not to brag. <laughs> um, but <laughs> he had this giant box of truffles. I mean, when I tell you giant, I mean, there was probably like mm, truffles, like thick yeah. ass, big, like size of my fist in this giant box. And we came home and the dogs, both with this is when we had Miles, Frank and Miles, someone got into the box and ate all of the chocolate, which could yeah. kill a dog. And so we didn't know which dog did it, but we had to to be safe, give them both the hydrogen peroxide to puke it all up. Oh God. <laughs> and poor Miles, because we knew immediately that like as soon as they started puking that it was Frank because Frank started puking up all the chocolate right. and Miles just was so sick and was just laying there looking up at us like, oh, you guys, it wasn't me. And he was so sick for the rest of the day and I felt so bad, but it was better safe than sorry. And it was Frank the whole right. time. God. Oh, Dogs, Frank. man. <laughs> so what about you? I was like you. I, I'm looking at – like I wrote down something I love, but I couldn't think of anything dumb because I'm just like, ugh. We talked about this a little before, but just that like COVID haze I feel like has really hit everyone yeah. I know after the holidays. Like it just really – or after Thanksgiving, I think maybe because it's just like even though – Christmas is coming up, which is usually a stressful time anyway and is is still a stressful time, but it's just like there's nothing to look forward to. Yeah. It's just bummer. And it's cold well, here Christmas now. So it's just a bummer. It's kind of um, something so that's to look dumb. forward to. No. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> no. There's okay. nothing to look forward to. Um, no, and there's stuff. There's stuff. Because something I love, I have two things that I love this week. 
One is something I've mentioned several times on the podcast. My friend Alex Stone yeah. made a TV show, and now it's on TV. It's called The Movie Show. It's on sci-fi. He is the co-creator um, with another guy, Adam, and then also Andy Woodhull I just mentioned, and Tom Dakar, and a bunch of other really funny people wrote on the show. And it's on. There's three episodes that are out now. It's on every Thursday night on Sci-Fi, but you can find it on demand. I think you can find all the episodes on YouTube. It's so funny. It's so funny. I love it. So definitely check that out. Also, I don't know if you've watched this series on Netflix, but it's called We Are the Champions. Have you watched it? I saw that you said something about how good it was, but I have not watched it yet. It's so good. It's so... It's just like delightful. It's oh, all good. about these weird competitions. Mm-hmm. Like one is ch- cheese rolling. That's my favorite episode where they're cheese rolling, which is in, I think in Wales maybe. And they like throw a cheese cheese ball down the hill and then people have to get go down after it fast. And it's this competition every year. And they just make these like little competitions into these really big you know, it sounds uh, like Christopher Guest. At, it is. It's by Rain Wilson. It's really. It's great. It's, it's by Rain delightful. Wilson. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but it's real. I mean, it's real competitions. Like one's a, a pepper eating contest. <laughs> another one's frog jumping. It's so. It's great. It, it's really delightful. Is uh, can kids watch it? I need stuff that I can watch yes. with my kids lately. Yes, kids can. They want to be it. all up on my shit. In your biz. And it turns out the housewives is not appropriate. It's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yes. No, definitely you can watch it with your kids. All right. Jen. So? It was a pleasure to talk to you today. Pleasure talking to you too. <laughs> Guys, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for sticking with us, for listening, for telling your friends about us. You can always contact us if you just want to chat at our email, which is dumblovepod at gmail.com, at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at dumblovepodcast. Um, you can find us on Patreon if you want some extra stuff and want to support the show, dumblovepodcast. We have mugs and, over um, there. Yeah. Did you know that? We got mugs. mugs. Yeah. You guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for supporting us through another year. We really, really appreciate it. We uh, love you so much. Get out there and go do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, dum-dum-da-dum, dum-da-dum-da-dum, dum-da-dum.